Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public ed issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. So this is a special edition of Fried Okra, and we're joined today by State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be here. We know it's a busy time for you, to say the least. Um, We want to just start right off uh, talking about school closures. That's something that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, Statewide closures have been reported in six states, Maryland, Michigan, New Mexico, Indiana, Oregon, and Ohio, and Washington, D.C. That's of right this very minute, Friday Mm -hmm. morning. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about what does a statewide closure look like? How does that process work? Well, we want to be very careful that decisions are made um, without consideration of um, attendance policies or fear about chronic absenteeism and how a school might be punitively or negatively impacted by that. So um, we we are not considering any of those factors. Okay. But as uh, we meet with national leaders in the CDC and my counterparts in other states, mm-hmm. this um, state education chief, um, we in fact, yesterday we're on a phone call mm-hmm. um, with one of the lead CDC um, epidemiologists, and we really do want to follow the mathematical models mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. are already studying of the other countries with school closures and the timing of that. Okay, and so based on that information, and I can go a little deeper into that um, if there if time allows. Sure, of course. Uh, it was not the right time yet for Oklahoma. Uh-huh. But what we want to do and want to stress right now with our school and district leaders is that now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to prepare as a district, Mm -hmm. um, reviewing policies, having special board meetings if we need to, Mm -hmm. to implement some of these types of emergency plans. Mm -hmm. Um, It's time for families to think about how would we have childcare or what would some plans be if we knew with a very short notice that school was going to be closed for weeks at a time. Right. So those are the kinds of things we can be doing now from um, for individuals. At the state level, what we are doing is applying for a waiver, and that was just released on Monday. We applied on Wednesday um, for the U.S. Department of Agriculture to be able to have delivered meals to students, mm-hmm. uh, grab and go. Um, these are what we would need to have a waiver from congregate feeding, where uh, that's the traditional model um, right. that's being used right now. It's it's different in the summer, but you can't do that during the school year without a waiver. And that was one of the things that we wanted to ask you about, because there are so many students in our state who rely on schools for feeding. That's right. And that's something that I know a lot of our teachers, that that's their first They're reaction, sure. you know, is how are these yeah. kids going to eat? So we don't want to prematurely close mm-hmm. if we're in a window where based on evidence and and the latest in science studies on those mathematical models on the transmission of the disease, we don't want to prematurely close and especially not at a time where we're not ready. So if if we have a day, a two two days, a week, um, especially as school is out over spring break, this mm-hmm. is the time we're gearing up. Uh, coronavirus is coming. It's likely here mm-hmm. um, when, and, and I'll just share also, um, as you list Listen to the governors of at least Maryland and Ohio. I heard parts of their speeches mm-hmm. um, this morning. 
they mentioned um, a particular uh, communi- community um, transmission mm-hmm. uh, that had been triggered. Right. So what that means is if you have, and let's just use um, Tulsa as an example. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so if you have a population of about 800,000, if you have one or two, or let's just say two, mm-hmm. um, cases that you don't have a known origin, mm-hmm. then that is what that means. That okay. that community that type spread. of community, community um, mm-hmm. transmission where no one can really trace. Well, we just got back from one of the countries where right. there is a level two or level three um, warning. That then means likely one percent of your population already has coronavirus. Oh, wow. So in that, it would mean eight thousand. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the trigger. So that's what's happened, even though they may I think Ohio only has five cases. Oklahoma Mm -hmm. has three. But it's about the type of information based on those who have contracted the origin of those. Right. right. So if they weren't in Italy or on a cruise ship or something like that, they just got it. Right. So this is that I'm going to mention this. It is critical that we have the ability to test. Mm -hmm. And of course, people with symptoms that are showing up at hospitals uh, need to be tested. And and then there's also um, guidance related to who we quarantine. And and I think when we come right down to it, I want our local boards, local school districts to do what is in their hearts Mm -hmm. and in their gut, the right decision, even if it doesn't match um, what they're hearing, you know, on a website or in the news. Um, And and we want to also think about it this way. The reason why right now it needs to be individualized is because you have different populations that you're serving. So if a a decision about should a child be quarantined or a family or a teacher, what, what what is when we're in that gray area? Um, are they with those who are vulnerably mm-hmm. medically? Mm-hmm. Um, that should help drive those decisions. To to make a blanket statement, it's it needs to be what makes the most sense based on science evidence and um, what families know their their own children need to be safe and protected. And our school districts want that. I've been meeting with them um, all through this week. Uh, we've, we've been meeting with you yes. um, as part of the Education Coalition, and we have a regular meeting scheduled. I think our next one is the Monday after spring break. So I, I can't think of the date, 19th maybe, um, March 19th, if that's a Monday. I don't 23rd, know. <laughs> Look maybe. at my calendar. That doesn't sound right, does it? I think it's anyway. 23rd-ish. 23rd, all the days are blurring. Yes. Um, but like, for example, today, um, in fact, just uh, this morning here um, on Friday, uh, we're going to the governor's uh, blue room for a um, scenario exercise mm-hmm. with higher ed career tech, mm-hmm. um, common education, DHS, um, the health department to run through um, an exercise of, of basically what we're going through right now. And, and as that escalates, what that would look like. Later today, we'll have a call with about a thousand of our school leaders and I'll walk them through some of the guidance we gave out yesterday. I think one of the key things that you said is our schools have vulnerable populations right. in them. And that's what we really have to keep in mind. Um, 
that some of our students have underlying health issues. Yes. And with the the spread of this and the contagiousness of this, mm-hmm. um, we really have to be mindful of and, not just our yeah. own kids, but other people's kids. And in their own families. Uh, we have vulnerable populations right. with suppressed immune systems, parents that are going through chemotherapy, grandparents. In fact, I heard a statistic that half of the grandparents in Oklahoma are raising children. Wow. So those wow. are our families right. that our children are going home to. Right. And so I think that, again, you have to look at your your particular district. And if a district right now feels that they need to close, so far we haven't had that. We have had uh, let's close for deep cleaning in mm-hmm. Oklahoma City today. So yep. you, we will be um, giving out some information. Yesterday it was still embargoed today um, with the CDC. Today I think it will be able to be shared with just a um, kind of a, a, a protocol of response and things we do in schools when it makes sense to close for deep cleaning. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also are hearing that this is um, the the virus is able to live on stainless steel and plastic for up to 72 hours. So that's very different than the 12 hours we were thinking earlier. Um, so, you know, I know that you, you had mentioned that we need to be making these decisions outside of worrying about crop right. chronic absenteeism exactly. and, and those kinds of sort of logistical issues. But there are some logistical issues that people have questions about. So, for example, the testing window. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's spring break now. The testing window is right around the corner. As it stands, it's going to still stay the same. Um, but are you guys looking at that? Yes, we are. So we're working with vendors right now to negotiate changes as needed. But I don't think that we know today what we do need. Um, We're going to have to take this day by day. It is fluid and dynamic, and we are positioning ourselves for that flexibility. Uh, End of the day, though, this is not about testing. Yes, we need to give specificity on those um, things that will occur so people can be prepared for that. But we're in a period of unknown when it comes to that. And we are not going to be um, making decisions based on um, a a federal requirement for assessment. One of the things that we've talked about to prepare um, as we are talking about policies is distance learning. Yes. So what does that really look like to you? You know, some schools have been working on this for a long time. And that's where it's probably going to be most successful. What concerns me is when we hear of a... um, kind of makeshift plan to try to count days or continue learning. And let let me just preface to say that it is our jobs to think about how we can sustain learning, um, even when children are homebound ordinarily. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the the idea of sustaining learning is something that we would love to be able to embrace and, and see happen my earring. Um, and the other thing, though, is we can't do it in a way that's that lacks ec- being equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I very have lots of concerns about kids that don't have access, and then that is going to count as their education. Uh, that's just not going to be something I could support. So, um, so one of the things that my colleagues across the country and I have been talking mm-hmm. about is um, what is the feasibility necessarily of putting out packets um, to students, maybe sending home packets with them if they're still in school. Um, And what does that look like? Does that solve an equitability issue if they have questions? And then are these considered a day taught if you are continuing learning through distance learning? It may 
I, it could be. Um, it is, this is where it helps to have uniformity. And so we have um, included some guidance on this and a caution about equity. Uh, I do think that this is why it's so important to continue the conversation with our leaders like yourselves, um, our stakeholders that are leading within um, the districts, um, school board members, um, and then sharing nationally, you know, lessons learned from uh, from others and what's working. So I think it's the tension between wanting to be safe and um, thinking about equity. And then also, um, uh, bottom line, it shouldn't be about counting days in attendance right now. Um, we are pushing that off. We there there is um, we have broad latitude on even the board, the state board has mm -hmm. the ability to forgive days mm -hmm. if we don't meet uh, what is required in an ordinary year. Right. Um, this is an extraordinary time and uh, being right. flexible is key. I'll give you an example also about chronic absenteeism. I mean, I'm bringing to the board, I've already called and talked to all, all we've talked to all of our board members now, um, about chronic absenteeism, about how we count average daily attendance, which does have an impact later with funding, um, that that is something that we are going to not allow to continue to be recorded based on, like, it will be up to March 1st. Okay. So um, then we, we have found a provision in the law that allows us to isolate a period of time, and that's what we're going to oh, wow. uh, recommend. Good, because that gets us to the beginning of the, right. the stress of this That's issue right. and people perhaps right. keeping their kids home exactly. and things like and that. And the last thing we want to do is stand in the way of a parent uh, making a decision that is right for their family. And we support that. Um, right. All teachers care about that mm -hmm. and support that. And schools don't need to be worrying about The safety and well-being of our students is our number one it's paramount. issue. So let's talk about um, a, the adult side of this issue yes. now. Um, leave and pay. That's mm -hmm. a, questions that I think are making um, people nervous. If they've got a quarantine, where do those, where do those uh, 14 days come from? Mm -hmm. um, and our hourly employees who are normally, yes. you know, I mean, that's, it's a concern when we're out for weather and that kind of stuff. How, how can we make sure that people aren't losing a paycheck because mm -hmm. of something out of their control? You know, I think this is going to also include a national conversation, mm -hmm. and we already know that this is um, part of the language and proposals um, that uh, Congress is mm -hmm. working and negotiating right now um, to pass related to coronavirus and unemployment or benefits for those that have um, no ability or recourse to have sick days or leave um, and yet still need to keep the economy um, moving with, with people having the funds they need to live and survive and take care of their families. So I think that there will be that aspect. Now, from a state perspective, uh, we have spent um, a lot of time giving guidance to school about how they may use sick days. If you recall, during the walkout, that actually, we had the opposite guidance. You could not use sick days mm, during, right. during that time of school closure or walk, or if a school was open and a, a teacher wanted to be um, here at the Capitol advocating. Right. So we made real clear, you may not be sick, but you may be required or su strongly suggested, you know, mm -hmm. uh, recommendation to be quarantined 
And can you use sick day? Mm -hmm. So we said, yes, we wanted mm -hmm. to make that very clear. That didn't mean we want you to use up all your sick days. That, that was not a statement about that. That was more yeah. of a legal release mm -hmm. and clarification there about the permission to use those mm -hmm. days. Um, I know that there are different, and this comes back to my, my first initial thought uh, about boards need to have special meetings mm -hmm. to, to make those provisions in place. They can have emergency leaves. Um, mm -hmm. policies, um, administrative leave. There's a, a variety of different leave options mm -hmm. and some districts are utilizing that and currently in place. Some do not yet have that in place. We would encourage again, districts to look at their, their plan right now mm -hmm. and augment that. Um, and then who pays for that? Um, it, it's going to depend on the scale. If we're talking about things that are happening statewide and we very well could be um, I don't want to be alarmist. I want to be a realist. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are going to be the most um, calm when we are working through a plan and executing that plan. Right. So as we think down the road, um, if we are looking at a regional um, scale closures or large scale statewide closure, uh, we would I would I would anticipate that we would certainly be looking to the legislature, which also there would be relief if the governor were to um, determine a state of emergency. There's lots of different triggers that mm -hmm. help money flow. So at, bottom line, teachers, we don't want you to worry <laughs> about this, even though it is a real worry. And I understand that because it is your family and your ability to take care of um your, your kids. Right. So I understand that. So um, what I understand is there's a wide range of policies yes. that a district needs to address. Um, uh, our education support professionals and those that are on yes. an hourly rate are, are one of those they're the uh, most considerations. Vulnerable. I would say they're the mm -hmm. most vulnerable right now. And that's on the minds of our districts. Um, when I met with our superintendent advisory um, group this week, uh, a whole room full of districts, and, and that came up right away, yeah. that they're worried about their hourly folks. So I, again, will I believe districts, the last thing they want to do is leave people in a place where they've they have been, you know, great servants of, right. of the public um, right. and and that they are not able to care for their own family. Well, we um, we want to know what is it that how can educators and education support professionals, how how can we help and what message do you want to send to them? Well, first, I want to thank them because um, they will have likely the greatest impact on the students that are in school. Should we be returning? A lot's changing every day. But mm -hmm. if things go as planned and after spring break, kids are back in school and teachers are there, um, helping to ensure that we we do have the kind of calm that's needed. Um, but also the other is to stay home if you're sick and not not worry. Like I know teachers do, they worry about yeah. who's taking care of my kids and and I don't want to be gone. Um, we, we want them to feel the freedom to stay at home and not and take care of themselves. Um, it's key. And then I think be flexible. Uh, we may not have the answer that's going to be required down you know, two, three days from now, mm -hmm. but it's because we don't have 
the information we need to make that decision. Mm -hmm. But we are building a number of scenarios uh, and those plans to execute with each of those. And this, again, um, will be not just made with one office or one person, but lots of people together trying to problem solve and think through. In fact, you know, we, we had FAQs last night that we put out, you know, we're up at the department till like we were about 8.30 last night getting ready for our call. 7.30, we got this thing done and out. And it, it, But we were using different um, groups of attorneys, those at the um, Oklahoma School Board Association, mm -hmm. you know, to review what are we what are we not seeing? What have we missed? Yeah. And so we need lots of eyes on these things before we, um, you know, put them on the website for public consumption. So just know that when we do, there's there's been a lot of collaboration. And um, I think teachers Teachers are um, key in keeping our kids safe and noticing when when a student is just not themselves and maybe they do need to go to the nurse or mm -hmm. um, or have their parent um, keep them home. One of the things that we've put out is, you know, to our colleagues, if you truly care about your children and your and your colleagues, the best thing that you can do is stay home if you're feeling yeah. sick, because we know that teachers uh, and support professionals come to school because when they don't, it puts a burden on their uh, their their yeah. colleagues. Yeah. And so, if we can um, put that aside for just a little bit and think about the health and safety uh, on a different level um, and stay home when we need mm -hmm. to, that will really be key in helping stave off this uh, this Absolutely. sickness. Sickness. Yeah. We want to do everything we can to halt or slow transmission. Yes. And teachers will play a critical role in that. Welcome to the second section of our podcast for Fried Okra. We have with us today Sabra Tucker. She is the executive director of the Oklahoma Retired Educators Association. So welcome, Sabra. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So we want to talk to you a little bit about some exciting things that are going on for our retirees, including a bill that just passed the House this week. So that is the COLA. Yes, it is long overdue. House Bill 3350 passed unanimously in the House of Representatives this week. And it was a great day because it's been 12 long years since any type of adjustment for Oklahoma's retired educators. And I think that's important to say it's an adjustment, not a raise. We yes. know that the cost of living has gone up. We know gas has gone up, well, gone up, gone down, gone up, gone down. Yes. Uh, but all of our all, all of our materials and things that we need uh, are going up. And yet our retirees were stuck at 12 year ago uh wages. That is correct. In fact, one of the biggest increases has been in the cost of their health insurance yeah. premiums, oh, yeah. whether they're pre-Medicare or currently eligible for the Medicare supplement. Uh, the percentage increase has been about 47% if you're on the state insurance crazy. Uh, or $136 per month. So I heard stories about um, retirees, because this doesn't just affect teachers, it affects everyone in the state pension system. Correct. So um, having to write checks, not even getting a retirement check, but having to write checks back to cover their in insurance increases. What? 
That is correct. What? In fact, we know that we have retired educators that are doing that very thing. Their health insurance premium is more than their retirement checks. So oh they word. have to write a check and send it in to the teacher retirement system. Oh, my word. And those are made quarterly. That is offensive. It is. Not, in fact, that it was that. that very fact that inspired Representative Avery Fricks to carry this legislation even in his first term as a representative. And he's been carrying the legislation for for us for like three years? Yes. Yes. It has taken that long to change the conversation at the state capitol for people to realize that this has become a crisis for these elderly people. So one of the things that I, when you talked about like changing everybody's understanding of it, um, I think you guys were really dealing with a lot of uh, misconceptions about the level of funding in yes. in this, and not just, our, you know, teacher retirement, but all the state systems. And um, I remember being so blown away when you explained the um, time that it would take for our funding uh for the for the system to be completely funded. Um, can you explain that to everybody? Because I just think this is crazy. Yes. Um, goals for pension systems currently are for them to reach what we call 100% funded, mm -hmm. which means that every person participating in the system, every retiree, every active employee paying into the system has their full retirement amount pre-funded whether they're already retired or they hope to retire someday. So this is if everybody cashed in today. Yes. Even a first year teacher the first week on the job. Okay. So it used to be, so the funding now, if the, if this COLA went through, it would take us to, to get to 100%. It would increase that by a year and a half. Actually, the, the new language uh -huh. with the tiered COLA oh, right. would mm -hmm. only add one year. Okay. And before, that was not the case. A 4% COLA would have added two years mm -hmm. to funding. The current legislation in its proposed state uh -huh. increases that one year. But let's, let's, let's talk about how many years it's going to be until we're on that trajectory. Yes. According to our actuaries, we are only 14 years away from being 100% funded. And that was not always the case. No. In fact, about 10 years ago, the number of years cited by the actuary was infinity. That's uh, not hyperbole. <laughs> no, that was the actual, the actual printed in the document. Infinity. That is a long time. Yes, it is. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> but so, that's not the case now. So how, how, how did we get from an absolute no three years ago to it's passed the House unanimously. That's a big deal. Uh, well, I think part of that is because we had representatives like Avery Fricks, uh, mm -hmm. who are, uh, you know, we have this whole new class of freshmen and uh, second-term legislators mm -hmm. who seem to be really clued in to the needs of the people of their district. They... Um, are focused on, uh, you know, moving Oklahoma forward. There's some young people, and I think they have some vision that they would like to have for our state. And also, I think, um, like Avery, connecting with retirees 
in his district uh, saw this need. But uh, very importantly, our retirees have been very diligent about patiently telling their story mm-hmm. to their representatives and senators and saying, here's my situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what it, how not having a COLA has in, affected me. And uh, we have just been tried to be persistent in getting the facts out there right. to the legislators that this is not going to be a devastating event to the teachers' retirement system or the other pension systems, for that matter, giving this one-time COLA to retirees. So there's some advocacy work. Absolutely. And some fact-checking. Yes, uh, because, <laughs> you know, when you... Um, it's one thing for people to say, we need a COLA. It's another thing to say, we need a COLA, and it's not going to devastate the pension systems right. like many um, anti-pension, anti-COLA pundits would like us to believe. And this didn't just fall out of the sky. This is not one session worth of work by retirees who've been up there communicating with their lawmakers and communicating with them from home. This didn't just happen this week. Absolutely not. Uh, you'll hear conversations now in the legislature that previous legislators gave colas willy-nilly every time there was an election year. And really, it was more based on the fact that any defined benefit pension system gives cost-of-living adjustments because Inflation is a real thing. Right. What? <laughs> I know. It's surprising. Yes, this yes. is breaking news here on I, Friday. I took economics in college. And Did you? That's what Pain they off. taught me. <laughs> <laughs> but other states, I mean, my mom is a retired educator in Arkansas, and they get a COLA every year. I mean, it's very small. Yes. But so actually, that it, Arkansas gives a 3% COLA every July 1st. 3%? My Mom, I expect better Christmas presents. Okay. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Sorry, Mom. (laughs) No, but I mean, other states do it differently. Oklahoma has really not just waited a little bit. I mean, uh, there there are other options. Oklahoma has a system of what we call ad hoc colas, meaning that the legislature has to pass a law to put a cola into effect versus other states, actually many other states Mm -hmm. that have a system of giving automatic colas. Many times those are tied to an index, like the mm. consumer price index that we're all familiar with. Uh, they can be tied to investment returns of the pension system. There are various ways to do that. And I really believe moving forward, that's what Oklahoma needs to do. Mm. We can give cost of living adjustments to our retirees in the future uh, based on a re- fiscal responsibility, but yet taking the legislature um, out of that process so they can focus, one, on other issues, mm-hmm. and two, it gives retirees some type of security knowing that adjustments will be made so that they can uh, buy gasoline for their car or they can buy those medications at their pharmacy or, or they pay can, their bills. Yeah, they don't have to have their thermostat set on 60 during the winter exactly. and put on extra coats and blankets. Yes, And that's a true story from one of our members. So OREA, Oklahoma Retired Educators Association, does a lot of advocacy work. You know, how and when do educators join OREA? Well, there's multiple ways to join. Uh, One, you can call our office 
and we'll fix you up. We send um, membership forms. As soon as people retire, they will actually receive that form in their retirement packet. They can uh, talk to our active educators, who many of them will know uh, mm -hmm. locally, how to put them in touch. Ask your OEA uh People, they'll, they'll tell you how to get in touch with us. They can go to OREA.org uh, and even sign up right there online. Also, I would like to encourage people, especially if you're interested in advocacy now, once you retire, that doesn't have to end. We have many advocates not only working to speak up for retirees, but we have many retired educators who will always be teachers. Mm -hmm. They will always come to the Capitol and advocate for other teachers and students and public education. Mm -hmm. And we invite everyone to join us and be a part of our efforts. Do you have to be retired to join? No, you can actually join as an active educator. Um, our minimum age requirement is 45 years old. So anyone can join as long as they are a member and of the teacher retirement system. And that means anybody that's paid into it or ever paid into it. And how much does it cost? It is $3.50 per month to join the OREA or $42 for the whole year. So not $42 a month, but $42 for the whole year? Yes, the whole year. That Worth is a it. bargain. It Worth is it. a bargain. We keep uh, people informed. We have a Facebook page. We uh, send out legislative updates every week through email. We try to send um, people pertinent information that could affect the quality of life for retirees. We also send out a newsletter. And we have 60 county units where people can go and be involved at their local level right there in their very own communities. Awesome. Sounds like an active group, Sabra. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is my pleasure anytime. Welcome to Alicia's Announcements. So first of all, I want to recap our Outreach to Teach, which was last weekend with our aspiring educators. They, we had about 60 edu aspiring educators, those are uh, those going through College of Education mm -hmm. in our universities, and they came together, beautified Cleveland Elementary in Lawton, painted pictures in uh, several different areas, um, including outside. Uh, it was fantastic. And then they had a great conference of professional learning uh, full of all kinds of information that is pertinent to aspiring educators. So congratulations to Nancy Melendez for pulling off a great outreach to teach and spring conference. Um, next thing I want to talk to you about, make sure that you have gone to okea.org slash 2020 session um, where there is a graphic on what does politics have to do with my classroom? Um, what does it have to do with your classroom? Uh, everything. So um, who decides your salary, the school budget, uh, health benefits, um, even as we just talked to Sabra, are retiring educators getting a cost of living adjustment? Um, so those are done by your local school board elected, the Oklahoma legislature elected, state government officials elected, federal government officials elected. So it is imperative 
that we get involved in politics. Carrie, have people been responding to this at all? Yeah, people have really, I mean, it's it's done really well on social media. I think that people, um, people who already know it want to uh, share that out with other people to learn that yeah, politics is already in your classroom. It's already there, okay. whether you are engaged or not. So you might as well be engaged. Surprise or not. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. We hope you'll join us again next Friday on Fried Okra. Until then, keep fighting the